Well, we have a long way to go and a, a short time to get there. If you remember from last week, we talked about the nature of faith, the nature of belief. And the emphasis last week was not so much a matter of how big your faith was. It's who we place our faith in that matters. It's the, the object of our faith that was important. And I hope you walked away from here last week um, thinking about what it meant to take your eyes off yourself and place it on Jesus. This morning, I just want to quickly tell you that what we're going to do is take an extended look at the object of our faith, who is, of course, Jesus Christ. We need to we need to see Jesus right, and we need to see him rightly, and we need to see him in accord with God's word, because we can't make up our own Jesus. If we're going to be faithful, if we're going to be fruitful, we have to worship the real God. And, and very quickly, let me explain to you why I believe this is especially important in our day and age. Julian Barnes is a prolific uh, British author and a, a professor. And he's also a self-avowed atheist. And this is what he's said uh, when he's observed some churches in the West. He says this about uh, Christians in church. He says, What bothers me and my atheist friends most is the seemingly squishy spirituality that is seen in many churches today. The notion of redefining a deity into something that works for you is nothing short of grotesque. There seems to be little point in a religion which is merely a weekly social event as opposed to one which tells you exactly how to live, which colors and stains everything. And he ends with this question, what's the point of faith unless you and it are serious, seriously serious, unless your God fills, directs, and stains, and sustains all of your life? And I think he's right. I want to suggest to you this morning that if you are living your life without any regard or with little regard or with a wrong regard to the person of Jesus Christ, then you're not living in reality. To the degree that you are living in light of the person of Jesus Christ as, as given to us in his word is the degree of reality that you are living in. So why don't us look at Jesus this morning. So if you would, it's printed in your bulletins. If you would read with me, these words from the letter of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is God's word. This is God's word about who Jesus is, the object of our faith. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile unto himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. I ask simply that this morning as we look to Christ, the object of our faith, that you would, that you'd help us see your glory and help us to see your glory in the, in the face, in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask, for his glory we ask. Amen. Let me tell you very quickly why Paul, or at least to some measure, why Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae. We don't know exactly what the problem is, but we do know there's a problem. He, he begins by this very nice prayer for the people there, for spiritual wisdom, that they'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would bear fruit, that they would grow in their knowledge of God, that they would have strength. And you know, when you pray for somebody, you, you, you have a regard for them, you're concerned for them, and we read the particular reasons why a little bit later after the passage that we read. Paul states that the Colossians, the people of God, they were being taken captive by false beliefs, philosophies of the age, principles of the world. He calls them self-made religions and human teachings. So he's writing this letter to address these issues. He goes on and he says, says, you're being told things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I'm not sure that we're dealing with some of these same exact issues. But the fact of the matter is this. If, if you believe that the Christian faith is all about do's and don'ts, then you're missing the point. And that's what's interesting. Paul is writing to the Colossians because they're missing the point. They, the Colossians, they are being distracted from the person and work of Jesus Christ, from the one person that makes all the difference. As we learned last week, they're being distracted from the object of their faith, which is the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I would submit to you today that just because we're not being told a lot about don't taste, don't touch, it doesn't mean that we're not being distracted as well. There are plenty of distractions around us and our distractions may be different but they are distractions nonetheless and if we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ then we've just left the most important thing that we claim Christianity's all about so the first thing that Paul does in this letter very very quickly because they are being distracted the reason why I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at it is because I think we may be easily distracted as well in the world that we live in The first thing that Paul does is he draws their attention to the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you look back to 13 and 14, which we read is our assurance of pardon, we see the here here is Jesus Christ, the one that God uses to deliver us as his only beloved son, deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's in this Jesus that we have redemption. It's in this Jesus, as we've already said, that we have the forgiveness of sins. So this Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he takes on flesh. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's born of a woman. He grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. This Jesus, the one who is tempted and tried just like you and I, yet without sin. The one whose life for him His life could best be described, his whole life as a human being is is one of trial. 
This is the Jesus that Paul is talking about here that he says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. You know what that means? Jesus Christ reveals to us God. Because we can't see God, but but do, do be clear. There are people who have walked this earth that saw Jesus Christ. They looked at him, they touched him, they ate with him, they loved him. So this Jesus, God in the flesh, he has supreme status. That's the meaning of firstborn. The definition, it's a legal term referring to the one who is the heir of the father's inheritance. So in other words, Jesus, everything that is God the Father's belongs to the Son. And listen, I'm aware that in in the last few months you all have been uh, looking over the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. If you paid attention, this passage, this verse right here ought to remind you of the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created after the image of God. We are not the image of God, but we are created after that same image. Jesus, you can say it like this, Jesus is the image bearer. Jesus perfectly relates to God, perfectly reflects God, perfectly represents God because he is God. We created after this image, we are related to God, we are called to reflect God, we represent God, but we are not God. But, but I do want you to know that in this passage, Paul is drawing attention to the fact that We are created after this image, and that's a big deal. It's important. It matters that we are created after the image of God. That's why we want to be accepted. That's why we want to be loved for who we are. That's why we yearn for recognition. And I would submit to you today that it's not bad to want to be valued. We've been created after the image of God, of that which is most value. And and while God is ultimately the one who is most significant, he depends on no one and he depends on nothing. But we were created after his image and therefore we should want to matter. And it doesn't matter who you are this morning. If you come in these doors, I want you to hear that because you're created after the image of God, you matter. I mean, I want to look out over all of you today, and I want you to be sure that you know that because you're created in the image of God, that you are loved, that you are important, that you are significant. God created us to matter. As important as we are, though, we see in this passage that there's no comparison to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. I'll put his name in here so we we make sure we understand what we're saying. For by Jesus, all things were created. And then it goes on, things seen and unseen, basically. Everything was created, whether you can see it or not. All things were created through Jesus, and all things were created for Jesus. In other words, Jesus is another category, if you want to say it that way. By Jesus, all things were created. Through Jesus, God accomplishes his creative acts. And for Jesus, that means he is the goal of creation. Not only that, look at verse 17. In Jesus, all things hold together. Look, the the psalmist in Psalm 3. I lay down and slept. 
And I woke again because the Lord sustained me. You woke up this morning because Jesus is sustaining the world and your life even now. Hebrews, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance for the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. I would say it like this. If Jesus wasn't, the world wouldn't be, and neither would you and I. I would say Jesus is pretty serious. Then we get to the last three verses of this passage, and it's almost like before these verses, what we see is the second person of the Trinity before he takes on flesh. And now when we get to verses 18 through 20, we see Jesus, the God-man, the mediator between God and men, our Redeemer. And this is, is what Paul says. He's the head of the body. He's the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. Speaks to our redemption. Speaks to his resurrection. That in everything he might be preeminent. In him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself. All things are reconciled to himself. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of the cross. This reminds us that. that we were created in the image of God. And that creation is by, through, and for Jesus. But he also recreates by, through, and for Jesus. God does. Recreation is necessary because even though everything that God created was good, mankind took things into his own hands. And, and to be quite blunt and to be very simple about all this, we messed it all up. So God sends his own son. But not only that we would be saved, do you, do you read that, those last three verses? God sends his own son, not only that we would be saved, but also that Jesus would be preeminent. You know what preeminent means? Preeminent means to possess first place in all things at all times. Jesus. To possess first place in all things at all times. I thought about that. I went to the softball game, the church softball game last Thursday, I think. It, they all wanted to win. Wouldn't it have been terrible if I got there and everybody on Redeemer Presbyterian Church's softball team didn't want to win? Wanting to win is not a bad thing. I don't know if it always helps you win, but wanting to win is not a bad thing. It's not wrong to want to win, but since the fall, we've been, we've been somebody said it like this, curved in on ourselves, and we want to end, or we, we end up wanting to win no matter what. That's not what happened Thursday night, but that's what happens in our own lives. Wanting to win is not bad. But wanting to win no matter what is wicked. Because reality is, Jesus Christ has won. He is winning. And he will win. And he's the only one. 
Jesus Christ is preeminent. This, these verses, okay, they tell us two specific things in regard to our salvation as Christians. First, God sends Jesus to save us, to make peace, as it says, through his blood. Do you know what else it says that, that ought to kind of startle you? God sent Jesus for his own glory. In fact, let me say it like this. This is like the Puritans. They said it like this. Jesus didn't come for us. We came for Jesus. We're here for Jesus. In him is all things that he might be preeminent. I want us to stop right now and I want us to consider why is Paul saying these things? This is the object of our faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. And why is Jesus, I mean, why is Paul at the very beginning saying things like this? Because really, if you read the rest of the letter, it's almost as if he's commenting on these six verses for the rest of the letter. I mean, he says things like, I want you to know this great mystery, which is Jesus Christ. In Jesus is hidden all God's treasures. God has made known the riches of the glory of Christ. And then Paul calls him the Lord, the hope of glory. Do you want to know why Paul is saying this to the Colossians who've been distracted from their one reason to be? It's because Paul knows that there is a war for glory. Not only up in heaven, not, in the, not only in the spiritual realm, but here on earth. It's a war that's being fought in the lives of human beings everywhere. There was a war going on for glory in Colossae. And there's a war going on for glory here today in Athens. In our own lives, in the lives of this church, in the lives of this community, in the lives of the state, in the lives of the world. I want, a, I want a practical exercise, and I, I think I have time to do this, but I want you to take your bulletins. Uh, uh, take your bulletins in your hand, and, and I want you to replace your name. Let's, let's use my name, make it easy for you. I'm going to replace my name with Jesus' name in this passage, and I, I want you to consider what we're saying, because really what we're, what we're looking at now is what this passage doesn't say. Okay, think about this. Todd is the image of God. That's okay, but he's the firstborn. All things were created through Todd and for Todd. Todd is before all things, and in Todd, all things hold together. Todd is the beginning. That in everything, so that Todd might be preeminent. In the the last verse, God was pleased to reconcile all things through Todd. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And you don't even know me. (laughs) Don't think that we don't wake up every day and do that. And you might be out there and you might say, well, I don't put myself in there. I, I put other things in there, like my child. Or, or, like, or like my spouse. Or, or, or if you're single, maybe like the, the one that you want to marry. 
or you think you want to marry. Think about that. Put their names or whatever it is that you think makes you matter the most and see how ridiculous it is. And yet we do it all the time. Why? Because there's a war for glory going on. I know most of you know what glory is. It, glory carries the idea of significance, things that matter, things that have value. To give glory to something means to recognize the value. Realize before the fall, we found our glory, which is our significance, our value, our purpose in being with God. And since the fall, we have found our significance divorced from God. Listen, our passion for praise... Or our fear of humiliation. You realize it's simply a hunger for glory. We're now focused on glory in the wrong way. Think of some of the ways that you try to, try to grab glory. Probably even already done it this morning in your conversations. Social status. What kind of grades you make. Your academic exploits. Career advancement, wealth, marriage, beauty, family. If these are means for us to make it, if these things are what make us matter, it's glory divorced from God. And it's not that these things are bad in of themselves. They are not bad in and of themselves. They're very good things. But you need to understand, nothing stands in and of itself. Everything stands in relation to the person of Jesus Christ. Anything that you place where Jesus is placed in this passage, it will not only be destroyed, but it will destroy you. But what happens when you don't get the grade? What, what happens when you don't get the job? What happens when the start, stock market crashes? What, what happens when you get old, folks? Everybody gets old. And I've started thinking, you know what might be even worse than you not getting those things? What if you do get the job and the job doesn't deliver what you thought it would deliver? What happens if you get rich and then you wake up one day and you're still empty on the inside? You know it happens all the time. I was watching, uh, it was long ago, but it was a 60-minute interview with Tom Brady. Some of you know who Tom Brady is, the, the, the very successful quarterback of the New England Patriots. He's won four Super Bowls. He's, I think he's a good-looking guy, if, if I knew those things, but I think he's a good-looking guy. I think he's got a pretty wife. He's being interviewed about how successful he is, and, and at the end of that interview, he says this, it's great to win four Super Bowls, but you know there must be more to life than this. Why do so many movie stars, so many famous people, so many people with so much money, why are they so unhappy? It's because what they thought would make them matter doesn't work. You know, on a big picture level, I do know that it's all about God's glory. I think many of you on a big picture, a macro level, know that it's all about God's glory. Know that Jesus is preeminent and you're not preeminent. But, you know, on a micro level, I find myself competing for glory all the time. I want to be recognized. I want to be noticed. Um, there's the glory of money. There's the status, the glory of power. There's the, the glory of family. There's a battle going on in and of our lives. And, and let me, I, I just need you to know how close this comes to home for, for me and for all of us. 
you don't think that this week is I prepared to, 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 to share this sermon with you, that there wasn't a battle for glory going on in my own heart? There's a battle going on that it's deep down in our hearts. And you know how hard it is to keep that up. To try to be the best all the time. To want to be the most popular. And it's harder now than it ever has been with social media. It's so sad to watch what young people are trying to keep up with today. In the end, these are false glories and they will destroy you. Paul is saying this, and and I'll end quickly here. The only place that you get ultimate significance, the only place that you ultimately matter is in Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate. He is the preeminent. And our greatest need is, is to have the glory restored that we were created with. It's the unnamed ache of our hearts each and every day. We want the glory back. C.S. Lewis says this, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. I would say this, we wake up every day and we just want a little bit of glory, but you cannot have the glory that will last without Jesus. You know why this passage ends with Jesus making peace with his blood because it's on the cross where we see the glory of God most vividly. It's not the philosophies of the age. It's not the principles of the world. It's not the glory of the world. It's the glory of God seen in the cross of Jesus Christ because it's only at the cross where you see your value, your meaning. And it's only in Jesus Christ that it can never be taken away. Because at the cross, what the cross says is that even in spite of your wickedness and your weakness and your sadness and your great neediness, God loves you and will not let you go. The cross strips us of our false glory and gives us a glory that is His gives us a glory that can never be taken away. My prayer for you, and I know the elders' prayer, I know the leadership of this church, I know your brothers and sisters in Christ, our prayer is that nobody would leave here this day without tasting the glory of God found in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to, and this take me one minute, I promise. How do we grab hold of the glory of God in Jesus? The first thing is what we're about to do after the sermon. We're going to take this, sheet off and you're going to see the glory of God and it, it's, it's not something that the world says oh that's amazing it's normal bread it's wine and, and juice but it points us to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and that is the glory that we're all yearning for so when you come to the table if you're a brother or sister in Christ if you've accepted Jesus Christ if you know that his glory is the only glory that's going to last you're going to come to the table and I want you to intentionally know that God says I love you you value you matter and nothing can take it away because you know what's going to happen on Monday the world's going to try to take that away from you and you have to remember what's happened at this table What's happened this day on the Lord's Day?
And then I want you, on Monday morning, I want you to try to remember who Jesus is and who you are. I mean, if you have to, take this little bulletin with you this week. Take the little bulletin, and, and, and when you're driving down the road like, like I did the other day, and somebody pulled out in front of me, and I, I started to get angry, you know what I was saying? Hey, this is my road. It was created for me. I am preeminent. And when I thought about that, you know what I said? I said, I'm sorry, I'm not. It's not my road. Jesus is preeminent. And it changed me. You know, in the front of your bulletin. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And he will change you. And you won't even be aware of it. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that we have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ and, and we are new. We claim that promise. And even when we don't feel like it, we look to Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, who is seriously serious. We thank you that he was serious about us as individuals, that he's serious about us as a people, and that he's serious about your kingdom. Because it's in Jesus that we taste and see your glory. For it's what we were made for, and we rejoice this day in your reminder of that through your word. Bless us now, for it's for Christ's glory we pray. Amen.